Quadcast Nation, we are back. So excited to bring this episode to you with the one and only Kerry Brown. And I just want to say we have been listening to what you guys have been throwing down. One of the feedback that we've been receiving of late is how the stories on the patient experience. So, for example, Cindy Hooper in episode 10 in her battle with pancreatic cancer and her completing an Ironman triathlon. You know, Lynn Ashdown after having her spinal cord injury in episode 12, what she had to overcome. Jennifer McComb, episode 11, seeing her child, Henry, battle through through cancer. What, what you guys have been very clear about is these episodes are meaningful and you take a lot away from those. And so we were dedicated now to doing a few shows on the patient experience, what we could learn, what we could improve on as healthcare providers, just also give them tools on how to empower our patients. And this is what this Carrie Brown story is. And before telling you about this, I want to tell you about our low-carb conference. If you missed it, it was low-carb and ketogenic approaches to help with Ivor Cummings, Joy Kitty, and Dr. Paul Mason when we talked about the benefits of low-carb. You know, once again, there's lots of ways to improve your metabolic health, but this is one that seems to be quite beneficial, sustainable. And so we quite proud of that conference. So go to solvinghealthcare.ca backslash low carb and jump on that. Okay, Carrie Brown, what a story. This beautiful young lady had this extremely difficult battle with bipolar disorder and tried many things to try and improve her situation, but it all came down to her trying to find the root cause, changing her diet, went going to a ketogenic approach, and she's here to tell her story. And you know, and it's a beautiful story on how she took things into her own hands and found what worked for her through diet, through genetic testing. And I just think it's very empowering hearing her story. So I can't wait for you guys to hear it. She's actually quite famous in, in the ketogenic circle. She's got, she co-hosts Keto Dudes. Um, so you can check out her podcast there. She also has amazing recipes on kerrybrown.com. Yeah, she could. Uh, you'll hear about some of the recipes she's make. She makes. Uh, she's quite talented. So yeah. So without further ado, Carrie Brown. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadro Caramantang. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa, and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators patients and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Quadcast Nation, we got a doozy for an episode today. It is such a privilege to have the one and only Carrie Brown on the show. Welcome, Carrie. Hi there. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Your story is remarkable, and I don't think anybody could do it any justice aside from yourself. So tell us about your journey with mental health, how nutrition impacted your ability to cope, and and just how far you've come. Because we were talking just before pressing the record button, how you, you even expressed, like, even just happy to be here now. So yeah, tell us your story. I'm very grateful, very grateful that I'm still here to tell the tale. And, and if that sounds dramatic, I, I guess it is really, because I think by 
had I followed typical medical protocol for mental health issues, I would not be alive today. Mm. So it, it, you know, when I say that I, I'm thankful to be here in a very dramatic way, it really is quite dramatic. Um, it's a long story and I'll try and make it short. I was, I knew I kind of was born depressed. I, I remember as a small child, knowing that there was something not quite right about me. I felt very flat. Even as a four-year-old, I recognized that I didn't feel joy. I didn't feel happiness. There was, but of course, when you're four years old, you don't really have labels for those things. I just knew that there was this kind of dark cloud that followed me around everywhere. And I didn't know why I felt like that. And also I got feedback from my family, obviously, that I was miserable. And, but what do you do about that when you're four? You don't, because you don't really understand and it's all you've ever known. So I was born depressed. And, and, and over the years, I just, you know, you, you learn how to deal with it the best you can because I didn't know how to be any other way. When I got into my later teens, though, I started to be able to recognize that that wasn't normal and that the, there was a, a lack of feeling. I didn't feel joy. I, I didn't get joy out of life. There was no happiness. I was just kind of dragging myself through life. And I started to realize that that wasn't actually normal that most people don't go around with a black cloud over their head. But I also started to, to try and figure out why I felt that way and why there didn't seem to be anything. It didn't matter what I did, I couldn't change my mood. And so I started therapy when I was, I want to say 19, somewhere around there, when I started going to therapy. And I spent a long, a lot of years in therapy, out of therapy, just trying to make sense of this, this mood that I had, this kind of, this feeling of lack of joy or lack of feeling. And this went on for a long time into my adult life. And there was a a period after I moved to the States, because you could probably tell I'm not from here, but after I moved to the States, I now live uh, on the East Coast of America. I had a period where I became deeply depressed and it finally got so bad that I went to the doctor. I'm not a fan of medication, never have been. But I went to the doctor and said, you know, you have to give me something. I just, I can't deal with this, this depression anymore. And so over the course of the next year, they put me on five different antidepressants. So the first one they put me on, I lost 20 pounds in two weeks, which was fantastic, but I became violent. I started hurling furniture across the room and I actually assaulted somebody. Uh, luckily for me, they understood that it was the medication that was causing that, that it wasn't me, and I didn't end up with a felony assault charge, so lucky me, but it quite easily could have gone that way. I ended up um, spending a week in a mental health facility where they put me on a sedative for a week, and I basically slept for a week. They woke me up once a day to eat, and then they sent me home. And they tried, they put me on another antidepressant. 
and that didn't work and then another one and then another one and then another one and all of them had very bad side effects so the one made me violent another one made me suicidal I, I don't remember all the the names of which drugs did what but the last one they put me on was a, a an old-fashioned tricyclic and as soon as I started taking it I was having panic attacks 24 by 7 I couldn't sleep even on double dose of Ambien I couldn't sleep so and I was in this this heightened state of anxiety all the time. I was convinced that the police were going to show up at my house and take me away. I mean, it was just, it was the craziest time. And after six weeks of no sleep, I literally thought that I had lost my mind because I'd been awake. I was so exhausted and yet it didn't matter how tired I was, I couldn't sleep and I couldn't stop this panic that was constantly going on in my mind. So I made the decision to come off everything because at that point, the depression was easier to manage than the 24 by 7 panic attacks and the exhaustion from no sleep. So I kind of went back to my, my depression and just thought, you know what, I, it is what it is. I'm just going to have to learn how to live with this. And I became very, very good at at putting on a, a game face and just kind of doing what I had to do when I was out in public, doing what I had to do to succeed at work, and then coming home and just being exhausted from kind of pre having to pretend out in public all day long because nobody wants to be around somebody that's that depressed. And it can be quite career limiting. <laughs> if you're if you're trying to work and and you're that depressed so there was a lot of play acting that went on for for a lot of years and that's how I got through life I just got to the point where I'm like this is just my lot in life I don't understand it I've done everything I can to fix it but I'm just gonna have to learn how to fake it in public and drag myself through it in private and the fast forward to 2013, and I actually had, and, I, and I'm not sure what precipitated it, but I actually had a, a mental break. My therapist uh, called the police. I ended up in handcuffs. It was all very dramatic. There was cops and paramedics, and I got handcuffed to a gurney and shipped off to the ER where I was placed under armed guard because in I was living in Washington State at the time, and in Washington it's actually illegal to commit suicide so <laughs> same here yeah so i was under armed guard handcuffed to the gurney it was the absolute worst nine hours of my life i was there alone and i lived alone so nobody knew i was there it, it was uh i so i didn't show up to work the next day because i mean anyway it was a mess i managed uh, after about four hours of, of being in the hospital i realized that they actually had the power to commit me. And I didn't know the law or understand the law before that. And I actually realized at some point during that nine hours, and it was over, this was in the early hours of the morning, I realized that if I didn't get myself out of there, if I didn't figure out a way to get myself out of there, they could actually commit me for 14 days and there was nothing I could do about it. Nobody knew I was there. 
my work. I just wouldn't have showed up. I didn't have my cell phone. I didn't, I mean, I had nothing with me. There was just me. And so I managed it. Luckily for me, it took another five hours for the county assessor to get to the hospital. And in that five hours, I managed to psych myself into being able to convince her that it was safe for her to let me go home and not be committed. And I managed to persuade her to let me go, but it was on the condition that I went and got a a full psychiatric evaluation and I had to go back into therapy and, you know, there's other few conditions, but I got out of that situation. And there followed, because of that, there followed this like merry-go-round of, of doctors and psychiatrists. And while they tried to figure out what medication would keep me stable so that I wouldn't become suicidally depressed again. So their, their MO was to stop me from killing myself. So they put me on, and, and that was the, the, the point at which they diagnosed me with bipolar 2 disorder. The good thing about that diagnosis was it made all of those attempts to help me years before make sense. Because if you put someone who has bipolar on medications that are designed for unipolar, it's never, it's never a fun time. Bipolar people can't have unipolar medications without having disastrous results, which, which I had experienced. So my earlier diagnosis had been a misdiagnosis of unipolar. So that at least got us, got us away from putting me on regular antidepressants. So they put me on a bipolar medication. I don't remember which one it was, but it made me like a zombie. And so for two weeks, I was, I was virtually a zombie. I could barely get through the day. And I said, you know, hey, I'm the only one in this household, so i got to go to work and i got to pay the bills. And so this isn't going to work. So then they tried me on something else and different side effects. And over about the course of nine months, I think I ended up on Respiridone. Respiridone, yeah. Respiridone. And... But I had become so exhausted and I don't want to say mentally unstable, but, but coping was becoming incredibly difficult. And, and after nine months after my mental break, I actually went on a medical leave from my job, for which I was very thankful that they, you know, they made that option available to me. So I, I took a medical leave, but I actually became suicidal. And I was, even though I was on risperidone, and so I was taking the treatments from the bipolar 2 disorder, but for eight months, I was suicidal. So 24-7 suicidal. And, and I was mandatory psychiatric care. So every week I had to go to see a psychiatrist for half an hour every week. And after you know, like six months of that, I was like, this is just dumb. I'm paying you 300 bucks a week. I'm taking these pills and I'm still suicidal. Like all the time, if I'm awake, I want to kill myself. And there's this little voice in the back of my head saying, you know, just do it. it. Just be so much better if you weren't here. And so after six months, I I fired my psychiatrist and, and I went to see a new family doctor 
who actually had a lot of experience with depression in his own family. And he asked me if I would be willing to try Lamotrigine, which is an anti-seizure medication. And I'm like, I'll try anything at this point. And so they put me on Lamotrigine and it was literally like somebody switched the light on. And in three days, I think I felt true joy for the first time in my life. And so that went, I was just like, oh my goodness. And so that went on for six months and it was magical. And I went back to work and, you know, it was all good. And then six months later, I suddenly one day became suicidal. Their response to that was to double the dose of the Lamotrigine. The lights came back on, it was all good. And six months later, I became suicidal again. And their response to that was, well, we're going to double the dose. So I'm now four times the dose I was on when we started. And that was at the point at which I just got really mad. And I said, you know, this is BS, man. I, I like, nobody is asking the critical question. And in my mind, the critical question was, why does Carrie have bipolar? Like, where did this come from? What? caused it what what where did it come from because in my you know layman's mind it was like if we can find out why she has bipolar maybe we can stop her having bipolar which you know sounds very naive but nobody was asking that none of my doctors the psychiatrists that nobody was they were all going oh you have these symptoms let's find which drug will stop the symptom and then when it stops, we'll find another one or we'll double the dose. We just, we just want to make your, your symptoms go away so you don't kill yourself. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I don't accept this. This is not okay. I want to find out why I have bipolar because something's causing it. Let's find out what. Root cause. So I, thought I fired everybody. <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't know. Is this, is this genetic? Is it environmental? Is it food? Is it like the fact that my, you know, my father was manic depressive? Is it just the, the environment, the treatment I got when it was a child? Is it all any combination of the above? So in an, an effect, just, I was just on this mission to figure out why, what was causing my bipolar and I decided to start with the thing that had no variables, which was DNA, because your DNA is what it is. So I, so I spat in a tube and sent my test off and got this DNA report back. And around the same time, uh, I'm, I bumped into a doctor on Twitter, um, who a lot of people in the low-carbon keto space know, which is Dr. Ted Naiman. And he actually, his office turned out that his office was 11 miles from my house in Seattle. So we bumped into each other on Twitter because he started following me. And I was like, I always check out doctors that started following me on Twitter. Because I was like, why would that doctor want to follow me? Anyway, we, we got into a, a side conversation about DNA. And I asked him if he knew about DNA and could he help me unravel my DNA report. And he said, well, you know, I'm not a a geneticist, but I can have a stab at it. Anyway, I was writing um, a cookbook of sugar-free beverages at the time. And I, uh, as a side note, and I asked him if he would write the forward. So we, (laughs) uh, we wrote this cookbook together. We'd never met. We wrote this cookbook together. 
And when it published, I said to him, you know, we should probably meet, right? Because we published this book together and I'm 11 miles away. So we, we met at Starbucks and uh, having coffee. And I told him about my bipolar and he said, I think I can help you. So I said, well, you know, I'll make an appointment. I'm not trying to get free, free consultation here. So I made a, a, an appointment with him and I, and I went in to see him. And he said, we need to put you on a strict ketogenic diet. And so his reasoning was that because lamotrigine had worked for me, and that was an anti-seizure medication, it made sense to him that a ketogenic diet may help me because the ketogenic diet was originally developed to help children who were suffering from seizures. Mm -hmm. So that was his thinking that it may help me. So he put me on a very strict ketogenic diet um, and we were, and I know normally if you come to the ketogenic diet for weight loss, then you shouldn't be worried about how high the ketone reading is. You just need to be in ketosis, the high, you know, high, low, whatever. Ketosis is all good. In my case, we were, excuse me, we were actually what we call chasing purple ketones. We actually, I was trying to get ketones as high as possible because we were trying to bathe my brain in ketones to see if that would help with the, the, the symptoms of bipolar disorder. At the same time, I, I separately had sent blood off to everybody who had a lab and I was doing uh, food sensitivity tests and what's in your blood that shouldn't be there and what isn't in your blood that should be there and like this battery of tests and I found myself a naturopath and I took all of that information plus my DNA to a naturopath all this all happened at around the same time so Ted put me on a ketogenic diet the naturopath we layered on the horde of things I was sensitive to which left me with the keto and the food sensitivities left me with nine things that I could eat. So that was fun. And I, and I also had to rotate those. So I had nine things that I had to rotate over four days and I did that for three months. The other thing I found out, and this is why the, the DNA is very important to my story. I found out that I have a genetic mutation called MTHFR. And I think more and more people have heard about that now. I've been kind of talking very loudly about it for nearly five years. So some of the things that the uh, a mutation in your MTHFR gene, it means that you can't methylate very well. Methylation is, is a process that your body does to all sorts of things. But one of the things it does is it converts the B vitamins that you eat into a form that our body can use. So our body has to do something with B vitamins before we can use them. And the process by which that happens is methylation. Now, because I have the MTHFR mutation, I am not very good at that. And the blood tests, actually, I'd had all these blood tests, which corroborated the fact that like my B vitamins, I, was, I had none. Mm. I had a severe deficiency in all B vitamins. And so we... And why B vitamins are very important is that the number one role of B vitamins is neurotransmitter health. So literally, because I couldn't methylate, my brain 
had been starved of the nutrients it needed to have healthy neurotransmitters my whole life. The other thing we found on the DNA was that my serotonin and dopamine receptors, which are your, keep your mood in balance, were broken in about 40 different places. Uh, we also found out that I have a genetic gluten sensitivity. I'm intolerant to gluten. So if you add all of those things up, it was kind of no surprise that at some point my brain was going to break, you know, in one way or another. And in my case, it looked like bipolar 2 disorder. So armed with all of that information, my naturopath had me on methylated B supplements. So you can get B vitamins pre-methylated, so they're ready to use. So we put me on methylated uh, B supplements and uh, Dr. Naiman had me on a really hardcore ketogenic diet. I can't remember the nine things that I could eat now, but it was like bison, lamb, duck, pork. That does not hazel, sound bad. <laughs> right. Hazelnuts. I can't remember the other four, but there were, there were nine things. And uh, for one, for me, I was like, lamb, thank you, duck. Oh. Thank you. Because those are all. And they all happen to be the tastiest, fattiest meats. Yeah. So, so I, I basically literally ate nine things for three months and, and added the methylated bees. And after six weeks, uh, Dr. Naiman said, you can come off of your Lamotrigine. And I was terrified because mm. about a year earlier, I had miscalculated and I had run out of Lamotrigine on a weekend and it happened to be at the end of my, so I had no repeats either. So I couldn't just go to the pharmacy and get more. I actually had to see the doctor to get a new script. And so it went really wrong. And I ran out on the Saturday and by Monday morning, I was suicidal. So, so that experience when Dr. Naiman said, okay, you can come off them. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. So he, we, we, we half-lifed it. We, we cut it down and waited and then cut it down by half and then waited. And over about the course of two weeks, we, we titrated me off the Lamotrigine. And I have been completely unmedicated. It will be five years in October. Wow. And I have been completely symptom-free of bipolar for that same amount of time. Wow. And I, I got to say, for the first couple of years, I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? I was just waiting for the crazy to come back. I was just waiting to wake up and, and be in a massive depression or be suicidal. And it, it's just never happened. So I've remained on a ketogenic diet that whole time. Mm -hmm. For me, and, and it's different for everybody, so I wouldn't encourage anybody who's suffering from bipolar to just go out and get methylated B vitamins and try and do this yourself. I would not recommend that at all because you can overmethylate and the symptoms of that can be worse than what you're dealing with now. So I don't recommend that. Um, and I also don't suggest for a minute that everybody's fix for bipolar is going to be the same as mine. I think one of the things I've learned from this journey is that we're all very different. We're all bio-individual. And, and just because my collection of symptoms got put in the box that they call bipolar 2 disorder doesn't mean that's going to be the same as anyone else's. So for me, the methylated vitamins were key along with 
the ketogenic diet, but that's not going to be true for everybody. Right. Now I, I've been stable for five years. Um, I, I can now tell when to raise or lower my dose of methylated B. Sometimes I'll go whole periods where I don't need to take them and then but I, I can feel that, but that's something you just, you know, you learn for yourself. There's no, I don't think my protocol would be exactly the same for anybody else. Wow. So that's, I call that a win. Of course, the, the naysayers would say you can't cure bipolar. So if you cured bipolar, you never had bipolar. But I would say, and, and you know, other people would say you can't cure it. And I'm like, well, I haven't had these symptoms for nearly five years. So, you know, if you break your leg and you put a cast on it, it's mended. Do you still have a broken leg? Like, you yeah. don't yeah. have any symptoms. Like, do you still have a broken leg? So in my, my little world, I have cured my bipolar because I've been symptom-free for, for nearly five years. Uh, but, you know, other people can call it whatever they want to call it. They can call it in remission. They can call it whatever they like. But... I no longer consider that I have bipolar 2 disorder because I think... Ultimately, it doesn't matter. You're a functional right. human being that is living your best life. And first of all, even before saying that, like, what a story. And I am extremely sorry that you've had to go through all of this, like the, the battle with bipolar disorder, depressive suicidal periods of your life. Like, I obviously really sorry that you've had to endure all that. But I, I think I think what's incredible here is that you found a way and it's not necessarily your, by traditional means, but when the traditional means weren't working for you, you looked out, outside the box. And I'm just, I'm just really grateful you found, you know, clinicians that were willing to work with you and to try things that were, once again, not your typical route not quadrupling the the motrogene and just as a caveat guys like by no means when we're saying we're talking on this show we're saying ignore what the docs are saying we're saying continue to listen to what your psychiatrist and psychologists are, are suggesting but this is just a story an example of how you know going that extra mile when things aren't working uh could be significantly impactful but wow i think for me it was just that i i decided that i was going to be my own detective because i just didn't as i say i i, I to me nobody was asking the critical question which was why and i want i i've been an awkward child my whole life like why why i i like to know why things are the way they are and it made no sense to me that the answer was to kind of try this pill, try that pill, just to cover up symptoms. I was like, I don't want to have the symptoms. I don't want to cover them up. I just don't want to have them in the first place. And there must be a mechanism for what's causing them. Why isn't anybody trying to find that out? And, and I actually called my psychiatrist the last one that I fired, I actually called him out. And I said, psychiatry is like, you, you don't 
I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly what I said, but the essence was you don't actually know what you're doing. You categorize everybody by symptoms. You you lump us all together like you all have the same symptoms. So we're going to give you this label and you all have the symptoms. So we give you this label. And the other people that are in this box with you, they have responded well to this drug. So we're going to start there with you. But if that doesn't work, then we're going to try this. And I, and, and he And he agreed with me. He said, you're right. That's that's what psychiatry is at the moment, oh, no. and and that's what we're trained to do. That that I mean, that's our toolbox. And for me, that just wasn't that wasn't okay. Mm. And I was also completely, I was just so fatigued, just like mentally, emotionally, of of having to deal with being suicidal, like and and having to perform at work when my brain was trying to kill me. I mean, it's just, I just could not. I'm like, I don't want to live. I can't live the thought of looking to another, you know, 60 years of that, of that was just like, Too much. I can't, if that's going to be what my life's going to look like, then I'm, I am going to like end it now because I can't do this for another 60 years. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I said, I'm going to find out why. And as I say, I don't, I don't, everybody's journey is going to be a little bit different. And I don't think that everybody who has the symptoms that we call bipolar two disorder is going to find that, that they have the same cause or the, the, the same fix. So I think my, what I'm really trying to get across to people is to encourage you to be your own detective and, and don't like, like you just said, don't, you know, get rid of all your care team and just stop taking, I mean, if you're stable, stay with that while you examine other routes. Absolutely. And um, it gets to the point where I think medicine is going in general, where it's, it's about personalizing. It's, you know, like not everyone, despite having the, 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 the same diagnosis will be react the same to different meds you know like if you got an, a patient that has a high blood pressure someone's going to react better to one med over another and, and this is a bit of an aside but i think the future of medicine is really looking at a patient and and looking at factors and knowing what they're more likely to respond to and that also brings up like is this a common story like i gotta tell you because I, I heard your story only a few weeks ago about you know a ketogenic diet impacting mental health. Like once your story got out, were you hearing different, like were people approaching you with similar stories? Like were, you know, were you coming across more papers or doctors coming to you with, with similar stories? Cause like I said, this is the first, you're the first story I've heard similar to this. No. So when I, when I first kind of publicly came out of it was that there was a, a keto conference in Texas in 2016, 2017, I think it was 2017. And that was when I kind of went, you know what, there's a lot, there's still a lot of social stigma about mental health. You, it, it, it's typically, you don't talk about mental health out loud. You don't tell your employer you have bipolar disorder. You don't tell your friends and family. I mean, it's still very, very taboo. There's a lot of stigma and a lot of the majority of people are too scared to talk out loud about it because of the consequences, which I totally understand. 
but I was invited to talk at a keto conference in Texas. And I decided, you know what, somebody has to talk out loud about this. And I got to the point where I no longer cared what anyone thought of me. I, I didn't, I wasn't employed by an employer, so I didn't have to worry about that. I don't have any close relatives, so I didn't have to worry about that. And, you know, and I was single, so I didn't have to worry about, you know, a partner or children, or whatever. So I'm like, darn it all. I'm going to stand up on stage and I'm going to say it all out loud. And I did. So that was the, the first time I kind of really just spilled my whole story. And then it was, um, they posted the talk on YouTube. And that's when like the floodgates opened. And I just had people like messaging me on social media and emailing me and like, you told my story up to the point, you know, they were still at the point where they were suicidal or they had bipolar and they weren't doing well. Mm -hmm. So I said, spent, I sent thousands and thousands of people up to, and just recommend said to them, you know, do your DNA. There's, there's no harm in it. You, you know, it, it, it's good information. The number of people that circled back with me and said, I do have that genetic disposition uh, malfunction. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what do I do now? And I would give them the same advice as find someone to help you. Don't try and do it on your own. And, you know, so I send them off to find a naturopath or a functional medicine doctor or someone who knows about genetics to, to go and help them. And the number of people that have come back to me again and said, said, you know, this is unbelievable. Like, I would never have thought that eating what I ate would have would have helped me with my my mental health issues but but I my bipolar has has gone away and I'm not depressed anymore and I don't have anxiety anymore and you know so just encouraging people to allow the thought that maybe there's another way that mm -hmm. maybe they maybe it's not them maybe they're not broken Maybe there is another answer that doesn't involve medication. Maybe they don't have to live like this forever because that's, in my experience, that's what you're told. It's just like, you know, this is what it is and this you is just you. have to find a way to manage it. And now I've had thousands of people email me or message me since I came out about it publicly and said, hey, I have bipolar 2 disorder um, and are now just living full, happy, fulfilled lives because they no longer are experiencing either any of the symptoms or the severity of symptoms that they had with various mental issues. Wow. So it's just, it's, it's been magical. Absolutely. I mean, think about how many lives you've impacted. Arguably, you've probably saved lives as well for people well, that were well, I, I just shared my story, but, but, you know, they were the ones that actually went, you know what, I'm going to walk down that path and I'm going to do the hard work and I'm going to go get the tests and I'm going to, you know, go through that. So all of the, the hard, hard work is on them. I'm just so grateful that I had the opportunity to share my story that maybe inspired someone else to go to go down a different path, to, to open their mind up to the possibility that there was another way. Yeah. And I, for one, and, and thousands of people have let me know that for them too, they have found that there is another way. You know, and on a personal note, I've saved 
I've saved about $39,000 a year for the last five years in medical expenses that I now no longer have. Wow. And as well, of course, now I no longer have skin tags and, you know, and all these other, I was pre-diabetic, which I didn't know until I went to see Dr. Naaman. But Mm. of course, when I first went to see him, he ran all his weird keto-y blood tests that normal doctors don't do. And I found out I was pre-diabetic, which was stunning to me because I'd always, I've always been small. I've always been slim. So, and, and I've always eaten well. I've never been a junk food eater. I've never been a fast food eater. I made everything from scratch. I'm a pastry chef, so I made everything from scratch. Most so ironic I, thing in the world, by the way. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I, you know, my pre-diabetes within three months of of being keto, my blood numbers were like day and night better. Like, you know, my lipid panel, my A1C was like 4.4. I mean, like it it transformed a whole bunch of other stuff as well as the the symptoms of bipolar. Um, And of course, no more depression, but all the other little things that go away when you when you stop eating grains and you stop eating a ton of starch and you stop eating processed vegetable oils and you stop eating sugar when you make those changes. So, so there's been a litany of other benefits, but of course the main one for me is that I, I yet to be alive because I no longer have this crushing depression that often ended up being you know, suicidal thoughts, you know, they could, I, I, I could have just ended it all at, at any time, particularly being single and living alone, you know, it would have been so easy for me. And, and I just, you know, if it hadn't have been for, for Dr. Naaman's help and me being awkward and Dr. Naaman's help and, and Dr. Ball's help, I, I wouldn't be alive. And do you get a sense with all this, like the stories that you, you've, that have been expressed to you, the people that can have connected with you, do you get a sense how well it's been received by the medical community? It's generally speaking, a, a lot of people have, have written back to me and, and said, you know, their doctor wasn't interested. They kind of had to do it on their own. Could mm-hmm. I help them find a doctor who believed in keto, especially mental health professionals? Mm-hmm. were very resistant to the thought that it was even a possibility that there was another way to control somebody's symptoms. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of frustration from people feeling like they had to, to row this boat on their own. It was hard to find people to help them because there's the the ketogenic diet that whole thing is is very very new there's mm-hmm. there's a growing number of doctors who are getting on board but there's still very few relative to the number of doctors out there but also you know i think mental health professionals even fewer of them who are starting to see that there's a connection between what we eat and our mood or, or how the foods we eat can so dramatically affect what goes on in our brain. So yeah. I think a lot of people struggled and were frustrated that they had to do it alone. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's, there's often that the alternative therapies 
aren't in this country anyway and in the states are not often not reimbursable on insurance so you know my dna test i had to pay for that out of pocket and you know a lot of people can't get help from a naturopath on their insurance so mm -hmm. there was a lot of frustration around you know they're paying for insurance but they're actually paying for all this alternative care which is the thing that's working but they're paying for that out of pocket and so it i just a sense of frustration but there was no one i that's come back to me that said they regret Mm. changing their lifestyle to a ketogenic one because they're free mm -hmm. they are free to be free of mental illness is if you've been there you'll know it is the most magical thing in the whole world wow no that's um i i just i just i'm still just i just love the story so much and and there's so many lessons there too like i know i mentioned it before but just at a high level just getting to the root cause of stuff because this is not always the approach that we we discuss or emphasize in medicine we we do, you know you did make a good point like we we have a we have a problem we want to fix it what's in front of us but often not often enough are we asking ourselves what is the underlying root cause of what's driving all of this and um i certainly hope it's where medicine is going and and also the point that you made about what we eat, how it affects our mood and our, our function, like cognitive function. Like I just look at my kids. I got three vibrant boys. You know, I could tell you exactly when they've had a ton of sugar, you know, and I, I can see the up and I can see the down. So for us to think. <laughs> well, we know this, right? Because we all joke about this out loud, right? About, oh, the kids are on sugar high or, oh. So we know it, but we don't know it. It's like we kind of know it in a fun way, but we don't really go, oh, wait, if the sugar gave my kid a high, like we don't take it the step further to, oh, maybe the sugar could be causing other more damaging symptoms at the same time. Exactly. You know what I mean? I mean, no, we, exactly. we, we just, we don't, we laugh about it but we don't take it the step further. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think this is often the approach in, in medicine. We don't take it's that extra step. What's it truly, truly doing to us all? But um, I had to ask you, you know, you're, you've been doing the keto now for over five years. Is, five is that years, yeah. Yeah, five mm -hmm. years uh, with these positive uh, effects. And you have another life in in the fact that you you know you used to be a pastry chef and and you know when people think keto they think a lot of things but when i like for example if someone tells me that i'm gonna have like a keto based uh pasta or pizza or something i'm like absolutely not give me gluten give me the real deal i'm ready to go this is why i'm having pizza so like there's all these worries about not poor quality food but maybe the food tasted not as delicious as uh, the original forms, but you are the queen of keto recipes. Like you, you, but if I'm not mistaken, you got about five cook five cookbooks. Five. Mm -hmm. five. I've got five out right now. One in the works. And one in the works. So tell me how, like, how did this world begin, and um, and how's it? How's that journey been for you? 
So I, I used to have one. I lived in Seattle. I actually worked for Microsoft. I had a, a big job in corporate America. Wow. And I first heard about low carb when I read Gary Taub's book, Why We Get Fat and What to Do About It. And that's kind of what started me thinking about diet. And so I followed the, the tenets of, of his book for a while and immediately lost my muffin top. But there wasn't, and so I kind of went on like that for a while. And then I partnered up with a gentleman called Jonathan Baylor, who was doing a low carb approach, which involved eating a lot of non-starchy vegetables, protein, and, and a small amount of healthy fats. And when I started uh, doing a podcast with Jonathan, I actually, that was when I decided, you know what, I need to, it was very new then. This was back in 2012, 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. There were no resources for low carb recipes. <laughs> like there was nothing. Nobody knew how to cook anything without flour and, and grains and beans and sugar, like nobody. So I thought I should start putting up recipes to help people onto my blog, which I did. And that's how the whole recipe, I mean, I am a pastry chef, but I haven't practiced as a pastry chef for a long time. But I, I so I kind of started blogging these low carb recipes way back. And then when after I, that was just on the side. And then after I had my mental break and then I went fully keto and then I'm like, okay, people, I really need to do whatever I can. You know, I have this gift of being able to cook and, and develop recipes that are really delicious. I really need to put that to use to help people to stay on a ketogenic diet because most people they are not going to stick to any diet that doesn't taste good. Mm -hmm. They can intellectually know they need it. And if it don't taste good, they're not going to stay on it. There are some people who would eat cardboard and be happy, but that's not most of us. And, and so I realized that if I was really going to help people with my mission to heal their mental health problems, to help them with their brain health, to, to stop, to help stop the suicides, to, you know, to stem that, flow in the mental health space i really needed to show them prove to them that they could that one eating keto was delicious more delicious than the food that they were currently eating and two that they could do it forever sustainable because as i say most people yeah it has to be sustainable they have to be foods that they are going to be happy to eat for the rest of their lives because if it's miserable if you are just eating food that you don't enjoy or if you're if you're constantly oh I wish I could eat that oh I mean that's just no way to live mm -hmm. so that was when I was like if I really want to help people in the mental health space one of the ways I can do that with the with the talent that I have with food is that I can show them how to make keto food that is seriously delicious and I one of the the things I'm most famous for is ice cream. Yes, and actually, I saw that. Uh, my, my, first, um, my first cookbook was the Keto Ice Cream Scoop, so, <laughs> which is a whole book of Keto Ice Cream, 52 flavors with all the mix-ins, and it tastes better than Ben & Jerry's or your premium regular ice cream. Wow. 
but it's all keto. And, and the number of people that have said to me, my husband refused to do keto until I made him your ice cream. And now he said, okay, if I can have her ice cream, then I can stay keto. Or the number of people who've said, I wouldn't have made it had I not been able to have that treat of, of your keto ice cream. You know, I would have fallen off the wagon or, you know, things like that. So, and I actually, this summer, I just, you know, crazy idea to do a, an ice cream masterclass so i now i now have a keto ice cream masterclass where like there's videos of me making everything in the entire cookbook and i do theory on how ice cream works and how to swap out all the various keto sweeteners for sugar and you know all of that stuff so you know the keto ice cream masterclass is now a thing and we've been having a lot of fun with that so that's that's how the cookbook started because i wanted to find a way to help people uh, get on it and enjoy it and stay the course because I, I, I think it's probably fair to say that if you have a mental health issue which you solve with keto, you probably have to stay keto. I, I think, yeah. you know, if you, if you fall off a wall and break your leg, you can cure your leg being broken and not have a broken leg. But if you fall off the wall again, you're going to break your leg again. So I you you got to stay so that was that that was where the whole cooking thing came in was my passion around helping people to stay the course yeah because i i gotta i gotta commend you for that like thinking about ways that people will stick with it because that was always my fear as a person that's never done keto that has seen tons of people achieve amazing success through it i always ask myself can you keep this up you know, can you keep this up and adding to the arsenal ways of making, you know, the, the, the food nutritious, delicious, you know, dispelling a lot of the myths that's, that's thinking ahead. That's being, you know, innovative. And so, um, I want to, I mean, you know, there's the, the, the carnivore. I mean, some people are perfectly happy eating steak every day for the rest of their lives, have more power to them, hmm. but most people aren't that. Exactly. Most people can do that for a period of time and then they just get really, really bored. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just, you know, we're all different. So I'm, I'm here to prove to people that keto is ridiculously delicious and completely sustainable and to teach them how, how to get there, how to make the things easy, simple, budget-friendly, it's what, what I do is, and I think a lot of people are beginning to understand the, the why of keto and then the mechanics of keto, but they still need to understand how to translate that into what am I actually going to eat? And that's the part that, that I fix for. Yeah. You actually brought up a good point that I meant to ask earlier, and this might be a tough question, but the the how or why you know coming down to the root cause like why it works so i know when it comes down to keto and and seizures and we're not sure what how how it's effective have you come across any theories or in all your talks on on your show or what have you have you had any theories on why we think it might be effective in mental illness i i honestly have no idea yeah i but i i trust dr Naiman. mm-hmm and um, and I'm alive because of Dr. Naiman. <laughs> so I, I, I don't understand the mechanics of, of what happens in a seizure or, or why removing sugar. 
I would imagine that it has something to do with inflammation, mm -hmm. um, but I don't understand the mechanics of that. But to be quite honest, I don't care. Yeah. Um, I, I just know that when I and, and tens of thousands of other people that I've interacted, when we don't eat carbs, everything is better. Yeah. That's all I really care about, to be honest. But, uh, to be honest, I don't, I don't give a rat's about science. You can say rat's ass. No, no, absolutely. Couldn't, I, couldn't just, care less. I just thought I would take a Hail Mary shot and see if you uh, came across, because it's certainly from what I could see, I haven't seen a succinct, clear explanation on why it might be effective. And all, the reason I, the other reason I'm pushing that was a lot of our listeners are healthcare professionals and it's always about what's the evidence? What's the, what's the science? And, you know, so sometimes... The ev evidence, I can give them the evidence. Boom. But I, I, I can't tell them the mechanics of it. But as I say, I am anecdata girl. I'm like... I don't actually care what the science is. All I care is that I'm alive. And when I don't eat sugar and starch, I don't want to kill myself. And that is literally all I care about. I don't care about the, the scientific proof. I care about me, how I feel living on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, and, and that's what matters the most, right? Carrie? Thank you so much for doing this. This has been one of the the funnest shows we've had. Just hearing your story, hearing your energy, hearing all that you've gone through and then come out the other side, strong and um, advocate, a leader, podcaster, author. <laughs> like, where can people get a hold of you? Where, where can they uh, track down your work, Carrie? Uh, the best place is CarrieBrown.com, C-A-R-R-I-E-B-R-O-W-N because I can actually remember that. So that seemed like a good name for my website. So carabrown.com and on there, there's a, there's a, in the top left hand, there's an about me. And if you click on that, it'll give you links to all the places. There's a YouTube channel um, where I do cooking recipes. There's, we have a vibrant Facebook group and we got all the things. So it's Facebook and masterclasses and cookbooks and, and, and all things. And of course, there's lots of free recipes up on my blog. Um, so yeah, carryaround.com is the best place to start. Absolutely. And we'll have links to all that and to the and to the amazing cookbooks. We'll have the, the links to those in the show notes as well. Carrie, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. You're, you're very welcome. If you know, if we've just helped one person who hears this to to start being their own detective and, and discovering a different better way to deal with the mental health then then it's been a, a, the best use of an hour and a half of my time this is exactly why you're on the show thank you so thank you for giving me the time to hopefully share with other people how they can get out of their hell thank you so much quadcast nation tell me that wasn't sinister that was awesome hearing from carrie brown her story she is legend okay if you guys want to leave any comments leave them at quadcast99 at gmail.com follow us on twitter instagram youtube at quadcast if you missed our keto conference go to solvinghealthcare.ca backslash low carb we had ivor cummins we had joy kitty we had dr paul mason it's tons of knowledge being thrown down the links are in the show notes as well Guys, we're going to continue to talk about how we can get people healthier. 
and you guys stay safe and thanks so much for tuning in take care